0: You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church Carlisle, a local church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the life of our church, visit us at SojournCarlisle.com. Good morning. Good morning. For those who do not know me, uh, my name is James Fields. I serve here as one of the pastors at Soldier and Carlisle. It's a great honor and privilege um, to stand before you to share God's word once again. If you're visiting us for the first time or if you have not done so already, we would love for you to fill out one of these cards. Uh, This is a connect card for us to get to know you better, um, to know how to um, pray for you throughout the week. If you're a member here and there, maybe you're going through a certain thing in your life um, and you desire prayer, um, these Connect cars also serve in that same purpose. So let us know if there are ways in which we can be uplifting you in prayer this week. Take time to jot those down, and I guarantee you those things will be prayed uh, over and for um, this week um, in our staff's prayer time and also in my own personal prayer time. This morning we're going to continue in our series called Desecrated, talking about the faces of sin. And if you need a reminder of why we're going through this series, let me remind you the reason why we're talking about desecrated, the faces of sin, is so that we may, it may help us build us into a God-honoring community that actively grows in our hatred towards sin and helps us to learn how to confess our sins to God and to one another. We want to grow a a holy, righteous hatred towards sin, but we also want to learn how to humbly confess our sins, first to God, and and also to one another. You know, C. S. Lewis um, was quoted in this way. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Human history is a long, terrible story of man trying, striving to find something other than God which will make him happy. Love how 1 John puts it, 1 John 2.16 gives us three specific ways that we're tempted to seek worldly pleasure. That great beloved disciple of Jesus says it this way. He says, there are three things that cause us or tempt us to seek other than our God. It's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is simply this, I want more than I already have. That usually leads to greed or to gluttony. He also talks about the lust of the eye, which means I want what you have for myself, which often leads to jealousy, envy, and even strife. And last but not least, he talks about the pride of life. This is the attitude that I know what's best. And this stems from the sins of pride and of arrogance. In our scripture today, we will witness the consequence of pursuing these temptations without regard of our God. Last week, we saw the sin of self-righteousness by looking at Elihu's confrontation with Job in Job 35. This week, we'll examine the sin of apostasy by analyzing Jeremiah's rebuke of Israel, but specifically the nation of Judah. And today, we'll use Jeremiah 2.13 as kind of our launching pad verse. That verse says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We thank you that you have called us to such a time as this, to be able to hear, to learn, and to grow from your word. I pray, as always, that your word will go forth and not come back void. Allow um, its purposes to be made manifest in the hearts of your people. Allow it to be made manifest in the people that are yet to be your people. We pray that you, as always, would take the little I have and make much of it, glorify yourself as only you can. Father, many of us in this room feel far from you, feel like you have not responded to the cries that we have been or the tears that we have shed. I pray that you would draw near by the power of your spirit and by the sufficiency of your word, would you draw near to us today. May those who are maybe on the outskirts or on the outcasts, may they draw near as a result of our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this image has flooded our Instagram accounts, our Twitter feeds, and even our Facebook accounts. And the only words that can probably describe this situation are shocking, painful, inexcusable. Now, if you don't agree with those words, don't get mad at me, but these are the words, the exact words that Will Smith used to describe his actions at last week's Academy Awards in his recent release of his resignation letter. According to CNN, writes, uh, Will Smith writes this. He says, I am resigning from membership in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and will accept any further consequences that the board deems appropriate. Smith said in a statement shared with CNN by his publicist, Smith's statements concluded, change takes time and I'm committed to doing the work to ensure ensure that I will never again allow violence to overtake reason. Like last week, like many of you, I was appalled at what I saw on that stage. And honestly, if I'm totally honest with you, I left with more questions than answers. What was going through his mind to to do that? How could someone come and respond in such a way? In our message today, Jeremiah comes and awakens Judah. He comes and tries to waken her from her sleep. He comes to waken her from into the reality that is. He comes to try to awaken her to the reality of their sin, which is apostasy. What is apostasy? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it is the abandonment or is abandonment of a religious or political belief. In its simplest form, it's the abandonment of a previous loyalty. Loyalty. In essence, this is what uh, apostasy means. It means to embrace a new commitment. Apostasy specifically manifests, manifests itself in two specific ways. One is this way, backsliding. To revert back to old habits or a previous lifestyle. Not as a form and not as what it looks like to commit apostasy. But there is another form. It's one of rebellion. Rebellion means to reject any type of authority, control, or convention that is offered. In essence, apostasy simply replaces what is with what is not. It is an exchange, it replaces life with death, it replaces peace with chaos, it replaces security with insecurity. It replaces love with indifference, and it replaces hope with despair. So what are the reality and the consequences of Israel's forsaking of God? Well, we see this specifically in verses one through three, but the first thing we see is first, they had to be reminded of their past faithfulness. Look with me in verses one through three. It says, I remember the loyalty of your youth your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not yet sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his, of his harvest. All you ate of it themselves were guilty. Disaster came on in. This is the Lord's declaration. Notice with me the very clear, let's not overstate the obvious. Let's not overlook the obvious. They had to look back to find hope in God. They had to look back to find hope in God. And I'm here to remind you this morning that if you have to be reminded of your faithfulness, and that means you're not being faithful today. You know, a close friend who was experiencing uncertainty of his salvation asked his pastor, how can I, know, how can I truly know if I'm saved or not? The pastor responded by saying, for to even ask that question or to even have that concern is a positive sign of redemption because dead people don't ask ask if they're alive or not. He went on to say that unbelief isn't the unforgivable sin. Denial is. Unbelief is struggling to see or understand God clearly. Denial is intentionally forsaking God's clear evidence of himself in your life. And the sin of apostasy will always lead to denial. It will always lead to denial. It's not that you can't see God clearly. It's that you see, but yet you choose not to believe. It's not that you don't understand God's goodness. It means that you see God's goodness, yet you choose not to obey doesn't mean that you don't understand God's grace. It means that you understand God's grace, but yet you still choose not to receive it for yourself. self. love what Eugene Peterson says about obedience. He says, obedience is simply this. Obedience is a long walk in the same direction. Obedience is a long walk in the same direction. Now, listen, that walk does not, I know many of you right now are thinking of a walk, <laughs> maybe going down your neighborhood, going down a beach. Listen, sometimes that walk takes you through valleys, and sometimes it takes you into areas of, of danger, maybe. But we, our sentiment will always be what David has said in Psalm 23, 4, that yet though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, why, David? He says, because you are with me. God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And your walk of obedience, is God walking with you? Are you walking with God? Are you enjoying a stroll on your own moralistic way? Or are you inviting God to walk with you, to counsel you, to help you, to guide you as you follow him? Love this because faithfulness simply means this. Faithfulness simply means consistency over time. Day by day, moment by moment, the the, the greatest sense of faithfulness is not just an occasional event. It's not what we grew up talking about in my home church, the CME members, right? The Christmas, Mother Day, and Easter members, visitors who come every, uh, every year only on those dates. Faithfulness is consistency over time. It is the same thing moment by moment, grace by grace. So we have to ask ourselves, are you living Faithful? Day by day, or are you living faithless? Occasion by occasion, I love this because it reminds us of the important fact that salvation is not just about a moment in time, but salvation is about this very moment. Are you trusting in Jesus now? Are you trusting in Jesus today? Does God's word play any factor in your life as you make decisions and as you seek counsel and as you pursue Him? Not a moment in time, but this very moment. Love how Dr. Frank E. Ray puts it. He says, Any faith that fizzles before it finishes had a flaw from the first. <laughs> Any faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. In other words, if you're not saved now, or if you proclaim that you walked away from the faith, you were never saved. Because once you experience the goodness of God, once he saves you by his own goodness, he secures you. He walks with you. So in verses 1 through 3, as we As we were reminded of uh, how Jeremiah had to remind them of their past faithfulness, this is the plea. This is the point that we want to walk away with. Don't forget the faithfulness of God. Don't forget the faithfulness of God. Notice that God takes them to their unfaithfulness to remind them of his faithfulness. He reminds them that at one point in time, you followed me in the wilderness You were the first fruit of the harvest. All you ate and all the disaster that came upon you, I was with you. What is God doing in this moment? He's trying to help them to remember his character and his faithfulness. So number one, they had to be reminded of their past faithlessness. Number two, they find fault in the only one who's faultless. Look with me at verse five. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your father find in me that they went so far from me, follow, and they followed after worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Notice with me that God has been faithful to Israel, yet they still find fault in him when there's none. I love how 2 Timothy 2.13 puts it. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Love how Job 35, verses 4 through 8, Elihu's um, exhortation to Job. Remember that last week? Remember the words that he spoke? He says, look at the heavens and see, gaze at the clouds high above. If you sin, how does it affect God? If you multiply your transgressions, what does it do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a person like yourself and your righteousness, a son Man, it's a good reminder for us this morning that we become what we worship. We become what we worship, that our obedience is associated with our worship. Love how Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strober puts it in their excellent book, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb. If you ever had a chance to read that book, I do highly recommend it to you. They say these words, to embrace a genuinely human experience, we must live along the contours of the kingdom. When we give ourselves to sin, we are not simply doing bad things. We are becoming lighter beings. The fallout from the power of sin is a decrease in weightiness and an ever-pervasive superficiality. We lack a sturdiness of person and instead are easily tossed to and fro by the waves Ephesians 4, 14, when we give ourselves to sin, our hearts and souls are being conformed to that reality so that the world as it is, as it really is, becomes foreign, and God's kingdom becomes increasingly alien. Again, church, we become What we worship. So in verses one through three, if our plea was, don't forget the faithfulness of God. In verse five, here we have the plea of, don't forget the goodness of God. Don't forget the goodness of God. So not only did they have to be be reminded of their past faithfulness, not only did they find fault in the only one who's faultless, but number three, they stopped inquiring of God. Look with me in verses six and seven. They stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt and who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled through and where no one lived? I brought you a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. Notice with me how they quickly forgot about God the one who had saved them, the one who had sustained them. Notice with me that they stopped. Well, how do I know that they stopped asking about God? Well, or they forgot about God because they stopped asking about him. They stopped inquiring of him. One of the things that I've been doing lately with my time is... uh, I'm a basketball fanatic, so I, I love watching the game, uh, I love playing the game as often as I can. And recently I've been coming across these different documentaries of players in their prime, and most recently I've been looking on a documentary of, of Kobe Bryant. And there's a story of this reporter who went to a Kobe Bryant camp, and he heard about uh, Kobe's famous workout schedule, and how he just works harder than anyone in the league. So he mustered up enough courage, and he went to Kobe, and he said, hey, Kobe, um, can I come and, and watch one of your practices? And he said, sure. Kobe said, sure, yeah, come uh, at 3. He said, 3 p.m.? He said, no, 3 a.m. <laughs> come come, watch this practice. So the reporter gets all excited, and he decides to come to the practice. Um, he gets there and he says, "Man, I'm gonna get there at least 30 minutes early because I want to be there. I want to impress this guy." So he gets there around 2:30 in the morning. He gets to the gym, and as he gets to the gym, um, he notices the lights are already on. He's like, "Okay, all right." He gets to the gym, and he opens the door, and Kobe's there by himself, full workout, full sweat. He realized after, and then you know, watch Kobe do his 3 a.m. workout for an hour, but he, what he realized afterwards by talking to him is that Kobe had already been there an hour before he came there. He already put in that work. So the man watched this, this whole routine of all these things that he was doing, and he was just so amazed and so impressed. So after his camp, he went up to Kobe and just said, man, what, what makes you so great? Is it the work that you put in? Is the sweat equity? What, what makes you so great? And Kobe responded, and a way that really surprised him. He said, the secret to my success is I don't get bored with the basics. He said, I don't get bored with the basics. He said, I practice the basics so much and I I, I allow them to influence my life so much that I don't get bored with the basics. It's a good reminder for us, for us as a church to don't get bored with God. Don't get bored with the story of redemption. Don't get bored with the story of being saved. Don't get bored about the story of God's grace and his mercy and his love and his pursuit of you. Don't get bored with our God. This is what's happening here in this passage of Jeremiah, we see that the nation of Israel is getting comfortable and they're learning to depend on things other than God and they're learning to get comfortable in comfortability and as a result of getting comfortable in comfortability, they are losing focus of who God is. They're losing faith, focus of the goodness of God. So, How do you know if you're getting bored with God? Well, this text tells us one way to ask is, That we stop asking questions of God. We stop inquiring of God. We ignore God. We don't invite God into the equation. We just do things and then hope that God is with us. We don't humble ourselves before God one of the secrets of just really having good relationship with anyone, I don't care who it is, is asking good questions, and listen to me, I'm not a person who really asks good questions, but I have a lot of people around me who do ask me good questions, and one of the best questions they ask me is this, how is your heart? How is your heart? And I love when people ask me, especially close friends ask me this question, because what it does is it takes away the, 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 the glitz and glam or whatever it may be, or prestige of being a pastor or being a part of Sojourn Collective or whatever it may be, and it just gets me to the place of introspection, right? Man, not, not your children, not your husbandry, not you being a pastor, like, how is your heart? And when they ask me that question, what they're asking is, how is your relationship with God? How, how's your relationship with him? And that's a question that we need to practice, and I hope we can practice as a church, is asking, how, how's your heart? How's your walk with the Lord? Because listen, if, every, if, 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 if things with the Lord is right, then everything else can fall in this place. If God has a proper place in our life, if he has a proper um, perspective and the proper place, then everything else then is allowed to find this appropriate place if God has that appropriate place in our life. Again, good relationships require good questions. So let me ask you, what things have caused you to stop inquiring about God? What things in your life make you stop interacting with God? What things in your life are you withholding from God? And if you have an answer to any three of those questions, if you have an answer to any of those questions, I would encourage you to write it down and bring it to God. Bring it to him. He will respond. So why is it important to remain communication with our God? How does this happen? Well, it happens if we don't get bored with him. So if the first command was... Don't forget about the faithfulness of God. The second command was don't forget about the goodness of God. The third command would simply be this don't get bored with God. Don't get bored with Him. Number four, again, we're talking about the four aspects of or four consequences of apostasy. The fourth one is this they listened and followed false leaders who led them astray. They listened and followed false leaders. Look with me in verse eight it says, the priest quit, quit asking, Where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Notice these four individuals that are mentioned in chapter and verse 8. Priests, experts in the law, rulers, and prophets all have turned their back on God. And as a result of them turning their back on God, then the people do the same thing. You know, the stark difference between knowing God and knowing about God, the stark difference is, isn't knowledge, but it's love. The difference between you knowing God and knowing about God, one who knows a lot about God has a lot of knowledge. But one who actually knows God, one who's actually experienced some things with God, one who has actually Allow God to take him or her into the deepest, darkest valley and experience that place with God. They have a love for God. See, a lot of people know about God, yet few have experience of Him. Love how Isaiah 29 13 puts it It says, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with their lip service yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. Not their hearts, not their allegiance, it's human rule, human teaching, human doctrine that directs their worship. Notice with me that those who don't really know the Lord set the idolatrous patterns for others. Callous leaders... Produced callous followers. There's a story about a man who went to the podiatrist because they needed him or her to cut off a callus where their skin had gotten really hard. It's not that they didn't have soft skin. It's just that for many times in wear and tear, for a long time, the, sin, the soft skin that they had became hardened and it became callous see, when you and I have gone an extended time away from God, a callousness can grow. So that you don't feel the desire to be close to God. It's not that the desire isn't there. Because a new nature exists for Christians. And a new nature, our new nature always points us to a desire for God. The reason a person might not feel the desire is because they have become become hardened. Their hearts have become hard because of many times due to ungratefulness and maybe even discontent. You know, I mentioned that picture earlier of Will Smith and Chris Rock. And listen, regardless of how you feel about that, one of the things that I took away from it was I was so impressed by Chris Rock's response. I I couldn't believe it. Listen, if one of y'all came up here and smacked me right now, listen. (laughs) Yeah, just pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. (laughs) But he, he took it, right? He took it. He, 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 he actually didn't allow Will to, 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 to cause him to lose focus of his job. What was his job? His job was to be a host. His job was to be a comedian. His, his job was to make people laugh. And did you see how he took that sour thing and just turned it around? Right? When he said something like, oh, this is the greatest night of television history. And everybody's like, ah, you know, laughing. Right? I love the fact of how Chris Walk responded, and he kept the main thing the main thing. He knew his role, right? His role wasn't to be a fighter. His role wasn't to be a wrestler or brawler. You know what Chris Rock knew in that moment? He knew his identity. And I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I don't know. So I'm not commending you to go watch every single video of Chris Rock. Please hear me on that. I'm not saying go do that. But I'm saying in that moment, at that time, there was a lesson for us to be learned. There was something that we Could could learn from his example in that moment is that to know your identity in the moment of crisis allows you to stay in character and not out of it. A lot of us, when we experience moments of confusion and hurt, we lose our witness because we forget our identity. Don't forget your identity. You are a child of the king, you are a blood bought. Son and daughter of the most high God, you have been restored and you are being redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Know your identity, know who you are, regardless of what circumstances come your way, regardless of what unexpected activity comes your way. Stay rooted. And whom God has identified you to be as a son and daughter of God. And listen, when times get tough, we need to mirror what our children do. When time gets tough for them, what do they do? They want to get in mommy and daddy's lap. They want to tell them all about their sorrows. They want to tell them all about their pain. We are children of God. And there's no shame of that, beloved. There's no shame to be children. There's no shame for you to need to to, to crawl in your daddy's lap and let him know about the pain and the sorrow that you're experiencing. There's no shame in letting God know where it hurts. There's no shame in asking God to give you strength that is not your own. That's actually what is required of a child. Know your identity. So you can respond well to the uncertainty and the um, the unpredictable nature of this life. It's important. You know, one of my favorite things to do in the home, (laughs) my job, you know, we all have our jobs. One of my jobs is I I wash dishes. That's just what I do. Um, If you need me to come wash dishes, I'll do it uh, for you because I just like doing it. I know some of you probably would call me this week, and that's okay to test me on that. I may not do it as well as you do. Let me say that, I may not do it as well as you do, but I'll wash your dishes, how about that? One of my favorite things in washing dishes is, you know, you, sometimes you get that hard stuff that you can't get off, right? The, the crusty stuff, right? You cooking too fast or too, too high, right? We all do it, I hope, you know. There's no chefs out here, are there? Okay. It, yeah, all right, okay. Soon to be chefs. One of my favorite things to do is take those things and, and, and soak them in water, right? Right, you can't get it, right? No elbow, the elbow grease won't, like, get it out. So what you got to do is you got you to gotta soak it with water and just let it sit. And it just amazes me what every time when I do this, it, 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 all, the same thing always happens is that what, what was hard and what was callous becomes to become a little softer, right? Starts to become a little bit more easy to manage, Right? This is what God calls us to in our walk with him, is that sometimes you man, just need to put on the worship music and just just spend time in God's presence. Spend time in God's presence. Open up the word of God and, and, and read it. Rehearse it. Meditate on it. Go to a friend when you can't pray for yourself and ask them, listen, I'm going through this problem and I can't, man, I can't do it. Actually, community group would be a great place to do that. That's why we have community groups, not just for a social function, but to have men and women that could come around you and be like soaking water to you to help the callousness of our hearts get a little soft, get a little bit more manageable. So the last plea, again, if the first plea was, don't forget the faithfulness of God. The second plea was don't forget the goodness of God. The third plea was don't get bored with God. This plea is this, don't follow after those who aren't following after God. Don't follow after those who aren't following after God. I love how Psalm 1, one through four puts it. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the vice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this, instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Number five. They exchange God's glory for useless idols. Look with me in verse 11. God asks this great question. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they are not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Useless idols. Notice with me how God asks a rhetorical question. He asks a rhetorical question. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols the charge here is that god's people have done worse than idolaters you see many nations were loyal to their lifeless deities but israel had forgotten has forgotten their glory for that which did not profit thus their act is an unnatural is as unnatural as it is unfitting so what's God's response to this unnatural response? Look with me at verse 12. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utter, utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. I love this because what God, what God does and, and, and what through the prophet Jeremiah, he starts preaching. <laughs> he starts preaching. And here's the logic that he is saying. If the heavens haven't quit on God, why should you? Listen to what he's saying. If the heavens haven't quit on God, if they haven't turned their back on God, if they're still submitted to the voice and command of God, if the sun continues to go around the earth and the wind continues to blow and the waters continue to know their boundaries, then why? Why should we turn our backs on God? God calls creation, he calls the heavens as, as both a witness and also as evidence. He calls upon creation to serve as a witness of humanity's folly. He calls upon creation to serve as a evidence of his goodness. And he calls upon the heavens to serve as a means of his faithfulness. It's a good reminder for us that, listen, the heavens are telling a story if you have friends who love nature and they love to be outside listen that that is wonderful and good to be outside but being outside speaks to something so much more beautiful and so much greater than just the sun and just the waves being outside and, and seeing the heavens and, and seeing God's creations. They declare something so much more than just beauty. They declare glory. They declare God's eternal goodness and his consistent faithfulness. Psalm 19 actually puts it this way. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech, and night after night, they communicate knowledge. You know what this means? It it means that the heavens declare something greater than themselves. It's not just the heavens that proclaim something greater than themselves. Did you know that you As an image bearer of God, you declare something greater than yourself, that you are made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore you have an inquisitive and, and, and intrinsic value before God as your creator. Yes, you speak and you declare something greater than yourself. You know what else speaks something greater than itself? Marriage. The gift of marriage, one man and one woman. Holy matrimony. Covenantal relationships through all the highs and through all the lows, through all the sorrows and frustrations, marriage speaks something and it proclaims something beyond itself. It speaks to Christ's great love for his church. And listen, it doesn't end there. Your Christian witness in this world, you being a follower of Jesus, you allowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be your Savior, it speaks something greater. Then itself, Jesus puts it this way, that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are of the earth. You are the salt of the world. Your purpose and your identity extends so much greater than just being called a Christian. Last but not least, this gathering, this place right here, the ecclesia, right? The called out ones. The church speaks something so much greater than itself. First Peter puts it this way. He says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Why are we these things? What is the result of these things? Look with verse 9 in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, so that you may show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Your identity will always lead to your function. As we said earlier, don't forget about your identity. You know, there's a movie called uh, The Lily of the Fields. Anybody know about that movie, seen that movie? Lily of the Fields, a very old movie starring Sidney Portier. And there was a businessman in town who was an atheist and he didn't believe in God. However, one day when the town was coming together to build a new chapel, He got involved working on the chapel, and Sidney Portier asked the man, I thought you were an atheist. The businessman replied, yes, I am. He says, but I don't understand. You are here building a house for God. He says, yes, I am. He says, well, why would you do that if you're an atheist? He said, just in case, (laughs) the man replied. You know, unfortunately, that's also what some of us do, right? That's what we do. We keep other gods in our back pocket just in case. But listen, we don't serve a just in case God. We don't serve a God who has called us to, 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 to be one among many. In the Bible, God has never been satisfied with partial commitment. When his people sought to follow him and, and hold on to the gods of their culture, he insisted on complete commitment and dependence on him as the one and only true God. Isaiah 46.9 puts it this way. Remember the things I've done in the past for I alone am God and there is none like me. So if we are called not to forget about the faithfulness of God, if we are called not to forget the goodness of God, if we're not called to get bored with God, if we're, not, if we're called not to follow after those who aren't following after God, here God commands us to n- don't limit God. <laughs> don't compare him to other people or things. So what are the consequences of forsaking God? Look with me in Jeremiah 3. Uh, verse 13 in Jeremiah 2.13. It says this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Notice the two things they have done. They have not only abandoned God, but they had the audacity to try to replace him with something else. In biblical times, a cistern was an artificial reservoir that was dug into the ground or carved into a rock for collecting and storing water. Historically, Israel has had a long dry season with relatively few natural springs, so fresh water was not only extremely scarce, it was also extremely valuable. So, God's, so Jeremiah's logic here is that a broken cistern was practically worthless. Worthless. This message this morning is for those who no longer totally are no longer totally committed to God. And listen to me, some of you may have really good reasons. You may have really good reasons. Maybe someone in leadership has failed you. Maybe your spouse has failed you. Maybe your job has failed you. Maybe you have failed yourself. I don't know the reason why you're being tempted to quit on God or to reject him or to replace him. And it's not for me to know. But listen to me. If that is true of you today, if that is true of you today, that you are in a place where you are tempted to quit on God, I encourage you to to not to do that. I encourage you to reconsider I encourage you to turn away, to not to turn away from the source of living water, to settle for something less and something inferior. You see, church, the sin of apostasy apostasy pertains to us all. We have all turned our backs on God, and we are all either deemed as enemies of God or we once were deemed as enemies of God. But here's the good news for you this morning that our God is both judge as well as justifier. And despite our sins against God, our salvation remains secure because it's not secured in us, it is secured in a person, secured in his son, secured in a bloody cross and an empty tomb, It's secured by Jesus sitting right now at the right hand of the Father praying for you for you desiring you to come home will you pray with me father we do love you and thank you thank you for the goodness of your grace and thank you for the goodness of your character help us god I pray for those under the sign of my voice who are at the verge of giving up on god i pray god that you by your word and for your glory you would draw near to them that you would show them that you are God Almighty, that you are the God of heavens and the earth, that the heavens declare to us every single day, not just beauty, but glory, the glory of our God and King. Help us, grow us, shape us in this reality. Father, I pray for those under sound of my voice who don't know you, who have yet to turn their backs from you. I pray that you would draw near to their hearts now, you will soften their hearts, open their minds to the reality of who you are. As both, yes, their judge, but also their justifier. I praise you and thank you for being our God, our all sufficient, all knowing, all caring, all loving God, who's placed your wrath upon your Son for our forgiveness. We do look to you now in humble admiration. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that we, Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it and blessed it, said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. By us taking this meal called communion together, we are not just taking a meal, we are declaring the goodness and glory of our God. We are reaffirming that our God is worth us, our obedience and he's worth us following him through the grace that his son offers the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread broken and blessed it and said, Take heed to, to his disciples. This is my body broken for you. Let us eat of that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he took a cup. and After giving thanks, he took it and blessed it and said, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say that I will not drink from this cup of the vine from now until the day I drink it with you again in my kingdom, my father's kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor of Sojourn Church, Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a multi-ethnic church that is firmly rooted in the diverse community of South Louisville. We are seeking to equip our members for gospel engagement and practical, effective ministry to the poor, the marginalized, and disenfranchised here in the south end of Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit our website or email us at info at God bless.